Hey, Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast. If you're new here, welcome to the show. My name is Stacey, and I'm the co-founder and host, along with my younger sister, Mariana. Thank you so much for pressing play on our podcast. We know you have so many options, but we really appreciate you spending your time with us and choosing the business casual. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram at business.casual.podcast to stay up to date on all things business casual and see tons of behind the scenes. Also, be sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so that you never miss any more episodes. And last but not least, if you are feeling generous, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. You can do that on both Spotify or Apple Podcasts. All right, getting into today's episode, it is a good one. We're talking a lot about interviewing, interview skills, how to show up best in an online interview, We're also talking all things Formula One, and if you've watched Drive to Survive, you probably know that Formula One has exploded over the last few years, and the fandom has just exploded, and there are so many F1 fans out there, because today we are talking to my manager from this past summer from Molson Coors, Sasha Romano-Lopez, who is currently the senior marketing manager on the Heineken portfolio in Canada. She acts as a mentor to team members in marketing and cross-functional disciplines who are interested in learning more about the role of marketing and commercialization within Molson Coors. Sasha has won awards for both her expertise in commercialization of brands at Molson, as well as from Ad Club Canada for Heineken's holiday out-of-home campaign in 2021, Make Heineken Your Tradition. Sasha holds her undergraduate degree from the Richard Ivey School of Business and her master's in international management from Queen's University. Prior to her role in marketing, she worked in management and operational consulting on projects in New Zealand, Canada, and the U.S., a technology startup in Toronto, co-leading their operations team and corporate strategy at Molson Coors Beverage Company. What does she do for fun? She's a hiking enthusiast, foodie who loves to try new types of cuisine, and a lover of all things travel. Sasha is someone who I look up to very much in both my personal and professional life. She's been a great role model and someone who I've learned a lot from this past summer. She was really an influential part of my internship and accepting my full-time role back at Molson. So I think there are so many key lessons that Sasha talks about today that you can implement in both your career and your personal life. So if you enjoy our episode, also consider sharing it with a friend or posting on your Instagram story because I think this is an episode that a lot of people can benefit from. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Sasha. Hey, Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Miss Queen Sasha. Hello, Sasha. How are you? Hello, Stacey. I am great. Fresh coffee in hand. I am ready to have a time. Yay! Well, I have to start this episode. Obviously, I talked about it in the intro, but you are the first ever guest that I actually know. Well, not only that I know, but I've met multiple times and have worked really closely with because most of the guests on the Business Casual are people that I just cold email or cold LinkedIn message, and they are gracious enough to give us their time. But today's episode is going to be different because we know each other, so we already have a relationship together. And so I think it'll be fun to kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And I think the conversation will be a bit different than our usual episodes, just because it's a lot different when you know someone rather than when you're meeting them for the first time to actually film. 100%. It'll be a, it'll be a fun conversation. I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Well, I'm throwing you an icebreaker question. And I didn't prep Sasha on this one. So she's getting this one right live. So I want to start with what was your first impression of me, either in person or virtual? If you listen to my Molson episode, I talked a bit about the application process. So I did a virtual interview first and then Sasha was my manager this summer. So I obviously met her in person. So I can start with like my first impression while you think about it. But virtually, I remember that 
So there were three people in my interview and Sasha was one of them. And everyone was so nice and so bubbly. But I remember Sasha, as soon as she was her asking questions, like she would turn on and like you could tell she was like, okay, it's game time. Like she was serious again. And then I would answer the question and we kind of like a bit of banter back and forth and she'd be like super chill. And I think even going in person and working with her the whole summer, I always admired how she was so personable, but also knew exactly when it was time to like get work done and like turn on, okay, serious Sasha time and like time to really get through things. And I think that's one thing I really took away from having you as a manager is really learning that balance of when to know kind of like that work hard, play hard and like understand the balance. And I think Sasha does such a good job as a manager of doing that. My in-person first impression, I honestly don't even remember the first time I met you, but you were just so energetic. I feel like you were like always smiling, always like, didn't matter what time of day it was, like very personable. And I feel like that was my first impression. Oh, that's so nice. That's such a great thing to mirror uh, to kick off like a weekend. Great. Um, so I'd say in person, um, and I and I know like online interviews are are really hard, uh, but I think you came off as as a great balance of very professional, but someone who was just so excited to be able to talk to us and to be able to, you know, apply for this position. I think some of that natural, it's a eagerness came through. Um, you could definitely get a sense of your entrepreneurial spirit, just how you presented yourself, what you got really excited talking about throughout the interview that really stood out for me. In person, you are so personal. You are so bubbly. The number of people that I had come up to me say, like, Stacey's a rock star. Like, she's just so fun to be around. But holy moly, she knows when to grind. Like, she can get stuff done, um, which is one of the best compliments you can get as a manager is when your person is just like a rock star. So, yeah, I think your personality just shone through amazingly in person as well. Thank you, Sasha. Sasha's just gassing me up now. I just, my, my ego's too big now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and I know we're going to talk all about, we're going to start this interview with like really focusing on like virtual interviews. And I know a lot of students that I've been talking to kind of gone through the application process now. They're either waiting for interview uh, time slots or have kind of set an interview time. So interviews online are weird. And do you think, based off right now, do you think Molson or in general, I know you don't have a crystal ball, so you can't tell the future, but do you think we're going to continue with virtual interviews or do you think there will be a time when we will go back to in-person interviews? I mean, I know at Molson, we are definitely pushing to get back in-person interviews. Oh, really? Hopefully starting for next year. Because I think okay. there's, I mean, I know everyone does their best to be able to portray the same vibe and energy and culture per se, you know, on an online setting. But it's just a different type of environment when you're able to interview in person, right? And we really want to be able to get such a strong sense of who you are as a person and, and your personality through body language and things that you just, you can pick up in, in person so much easier. Um, so anyway, we, in short, yeah, we are hoping to get back to in person as soon as possible. Okay. That's so interesting. I guess just from my perspective, obviously being a student through the virtual world, I've actually never done an in-person interview. Well, that's a lie. I've done some for club interviews for school. So it will be very interesting if I that does happen. You go back to in person. I think that'll be a whole other curveball for students. But right now, most of them are online. So we're going to focus mainly on online interviews for the, the beginning half of the conversation. So how do you make a good first impression on a virtual interview? Because first impressions matter. We know that. That's it's it's tough, but they do. And virtually, like that is your first impression of someone. A hundred percent. I think I think the key is is finding a way in your own way to still show 
the unique parts of you and your personality, right? So for example, if you're someone who's like a hand talker and who in person is like very enthusiastic and just naturally has a lot of energy, making sure that you're bringing pieces of your real self into the interview, I think is really important for that first impression because right away we're saying, whoa, like they were, they were really enjoyable. They're high energy. They're very personable. Or we're saying, oh, like this person is kind of boring. And like, I, I really didn't get a sense of who they were. Right. So I think allowing yourself to have that shine through is really important from a first impression. Um, and then I would say, secondly, just the sense of, you know, preparation. Mm. You know, if you come in and you don't, you know, don't really know about the company, you don't really know why this company versus anyone else or why this role versus any other role, like that starts to, to come through definitely if you're not prepared and it can leave not really the lasting impression that you want at the end of the day. And so in terms of preparation, like how should someone prep, let's say, you know, they, there's no on-campus recruitment. So they're, they've applied for a job. They haven't really met anyone from the company yet. How do you best recommend going about that in terms of preparation? Absolutely. So that's where online resources play such a huge role, right? So whether it's going onto the corporate site, just to understand like, who is the company? What are their values? What are their brands? Like what, you know, what are their, their big ambitions going into the next year or the next five years? A lot of that you can usually find on those corporate sites, even things like LinkedIn, right? Being able to see what are the new campaigns? What are things that they're really promoting? What are things that you really resonate with that you can lean into as part of your interview? I think that's the biggest thing. Um, secondly, I'd say, don't be afraid to network, right? So find people that are currently in the organization who are in you know, the same function that you're interested in and, you know, reach out and say, hey, I'd love to pick your brain more about your role, about the company, things like, because again, there's always nuggets there that you can integrate as part of your interview, but also it acts as a great gut check for you along the way of, okay, yeah, like this is still the best fit for me and like I feel good about this going into the interview. And last, I would say, we'll play with yourself, right? Really sit down, take the time to think, okay, like, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are some of these questions, um, you know, that I'd anticipate them asking, even going on Glassdoor, for example, a lot of times you can see past interview questions and just being confident in some of those key areas that know will come up through behavioral or even walking through your resume. You know what I mean? Just very, yeah, very tight. Yeah, no, I think that's really great advice. And I remember the first time I did an interview in general. It was I was in high school and my dad was the one prepping me because obviously in high school there's usually less resources available for interview prep. And he was like, you have to know everything about the companies. Like go on. It was for a volunteer position at a not-for-profit organization. And there was a it was an acronym. HOSA was the name of the organization. He said, what does HOSA stand for? And I was like, I have no idea. How am I supposed to know that? He's like, well, Google it. And the first question they asked me in the interview was, what do you know about us? And had I not had my dad not told me that Sunday before, I would have gone in there and looked like a complete idiot because I didn't know anything about it. I knew about the position. I knew what was expected of me. I knew that I had the skills. I had no idea when they started, who started it, what their values are. And so ever since that kind of scared me, kind of ingrained that into my mind that I need to always, always do a really good deep dive search into the company. And I think the other thing that you brought up there in terms of practice, that is the best way to improve interview skills because I don't think it, interview skills don't come normal, like naturally to a lot of people you have to practice and I think also in school if there's students that you can practice with or going back and forth another thing I was going to mention is virtually you can have notes I mean not that you don't want to read off of the script but 
that's an advantage I think you have coming from in-person online. A hundred, a hundred percent. Like just key things, even for example, a lot of times we might like to end an interview with, is there anything that you want to share with us that flex, like humble flex that you weren't able to get across as part of the question that we got, right? So even just having notes of like, here are the key things I really want to get across as part of my answers, if given an opportunity to ask questions, um, because it just, it allows you to tie it back to what are those values in the company? What, what is important to the company based on your research and just have that come full circle for sure. And then going back to the networking portion, what are your thoughts on name dropping in interviews? Because I know students sometimes have that question like, oh, I talked to someone, like, should I say that in an interview? Even in cover letters and resumes, not resumes, you wouldn't name drop, but like in a cover letter, let's say I talked to Sarah from an organization, like, should I say, oh, I talked to Sarah? Like some students don't know if they should name drop or how that comes across. What are, what's your opinion on that? I think when it comes to cover letters and resumes, it's not, I don't think it's a, it's a make or break per se. I do think it, it can go a long way in an interview itself in terms of, you know, like what I really love about the company. And by the way, like I've actually had an opportunity to talk to a few people within marketing. And like, I love the fact that everyone said this or whatever. A follow-up question a lot of times on our end will be, oh, really? Like, who did you get the chance to talk to? And that allowed you then to say, actually, it was this person or this person just to add that credibility. So yeah, that's how I, how I personally would approach that one. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then another question that we got is, how do you follow up after an interview? I have been always taught you should always send a thank you note. Let's say it's been a couple of weeks, you haven't heard back yet. How should you kind of approach that follow up if you haven't heard back from an interview? For sure. So I, I personally think um, either an email or a LinkedIn note after, you know, say a day or two after your interview is a really nice touch just to say thank you so much for the time and the consideration. Um, it stands out for me and it keeps you top of brain box for, for sure. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, after a week or after two weeks, if you haven't heard anything back, a lot of times coming out of an interview, it's our responsibility to say, here are the next steps, right? Here's what you can anticipate to hear back from HR. Here's the HR contact that's already been in touch. So a lot of times, if you still haven't heard back within one to two weeks, the general direction is please reach out to HR. And that's how I would do the follow-up. At times, we will get the notes directly, and there's very little that we can do because we just don't control that back end program. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, another question that we got a bit was, "What is the biggest mistake you see students make in interviews?" Also, I didn't mention this at the beginning of the interview, but for my student club, I am the director of internal, so I just went through hiring all of our first year interns, and we did in person interviews, and it's so different when you're on the other side of an interview and there's certain things that when you're the one being interviewed, you think aren't a big deal or you think that they don't notice. I mean, as a first year, they don't know as much. They're still learning. So there were some things that we kind of let slide. But I had a student come in for an interview and she was 10 minutes late and we were doing group interviews and she didn't knock on the door. She just walked in, completely interrupted the interview and sat down. And it was kind of like, okay, that's not exactly what I would have done if it was me. We had another student check her phone during the interview. And it seems very trivial that you shouldn't do these things. But I think sometimes you're just so stressed and your stress response makes you forget some of these key things that should be remembered when you are interviewing. So what is a big mistake that you see students saying that should definitely be avoided? Yeah. And I think, so again, doing it virtually, I think it's probably a little bit different, some of them versus in person, but I think from a virtual standpoint, 
Um, to your point with tardiness, like not being on touring, that for sure is a question mark. Um, I'd say the fidgeting. So like a lot of touching hair, like covering your mouth, like you can see that they're distracted in some other way. That I think that in turn it's distracting for us because we're thinking we're going on in the back end here. Um, and then I'd say one that really stood up was a like chewing gum. Like that, that was a big no-no. A lot of times we'll see gum or I've seen in my path like Tic Tacs or like there's something going on here. Again, like from an audio standpoint, you hear it like visually, I'm distracted. So I'd say like as much of the fidgeting and things like that, try to avoid uh, and to be on time. For yeah. Is there anything different in person that would come to mind? You nailed it in terms of like being on time for sure. Our first interview early is the best practice, I'd say. What about in terms of like professional attire? I mean, I've been told you should dress for the position above that you're hiring for. And, you know, if you're entering an office for the first time and you're not really sure, like I know Molson, for example, it's a pretty casual, I would say more business casual rather than business formal. But any tips on how you should gauge what you should wear maybe? Yeah and, yeah, and that's actually, that's that's really interesting. So I think online or virtually, I should say, like there's a lot more um, freedom. For example, we, we just had an interview for one of our internship positions and young guy, second year, he showed up in like very well groomed, but in one of our new busy sweatshirts. And that's how he did the interview. And for me, I really liked it because I got a sense of his personality. I saw, hey, she was one of our brands. He's an advocate. Like, those are all check marks. But going to an in-person interview, I wouldn't say show up in jeans and a hoodie. Uh, I think that's where I think the professional element for sure. A blazer, dress pants, dress shoes. But, I mean, I wouldn't expect a tie going to Molson, right? But you could you can still play around with how do you get across a bit of your personality, but still in that professional way, for sure, more for those in-person interviews. And an example just popped into my mind when I, this is kind of embarrassing, but I did it. So when I started my job at Molson on the first day, I was on the Heineken team, as you guys know, if you listen to the podcast. And so I wore a green shirt and I don't know if I said it to someone that I was wearing green because I was working for Heineken. It was on purpose. It definitely was not accidental. But I remember our director, Lindsay, she I didn't meet her the first day. I think the second day I'd come into the office, we ran into each other. And the first thing she said, she's like, you're the intern. You were wearing green because we're Heineken on your first day. And I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and I was kind of embarrassed. But it, honestly, that's the type of person I am. I really like those details and color coordination. I love. So that's just like one example of something that I did that I feel like kind of also um, relates. But I don't because I you were in the first week that I was there. But I feel like you, did you hear about it? That I wore green on the first day? I didn't. And I was like, that's amazing. I love the energy. I love that she's so excited. She's repping the teeth like from day one. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is another important part. Even, even if you're an intern or a new hire from what I've experienced, like having pride for the company you work for is, is important. It shows that you're interested. It shows that you care about the brands you're working on. Obviously, if you're in like the financial industry, it's a little bit different because it's not as much brand loyalty. But I think especially in CPG, from what I've experienced, that's very, very important. A hundred percent. I mean, you should be an advocate of your own brands, whether or not you directly um, you know, work on them. But ultimately, it's all one team at the end of the day. We're all in a nuisance case, like selling beer and beverages. And 
You know, I will go, I will go to that just as hard for a busy or poor seltzer as I will for a Heineken lager or a Heineken zero zero, like for sure. And so perfect transition. Love to hear in your words, kind of what your role is, the brands you work on, how many people you manage, and just maybe a quick summary of what a week in your life looks like. I know a day sometimes looks different, but what is kind of a week in Sasha's life look like work-wise? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a senior marketing manager on the Heineken desk. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, at Olson, we have a partnership with Heineken where we are responsible for the selling, marketing, distribution of a select number of their brands. Um, our portfolio consists of Heineken Lager, Heineken Zero Zero, which is our non-L proposition. We have our little Italian stallion, Beer Moretti. Uh, we have Soul, which is a delicious cerveza, um, Strongbow, which is the number one cider. Um, and then we have uh, some smaller partner brands, such as like Tecate, Dos Equis, uh, Mofis, et cetera. So a really wicked portfolio of amazing brands. Um, I personally uh, oversee and manage Heineken Lager, Heineken Zero Zero, Amstel Ultra, and I provide support to my team on the rest of those portfolios from a strategic uh, and from a commercial standpoint. Um, our team is small but mighty, for sure. We have um, myself, we have our director, Lindsay Wilson, who low-key is dying to get on your podcast as well, Stacey. So <laughs> she Lindsay is actually my Instagram BFF. Other than my mom and my dad, if I post a story, I know Lindsay's, Lindsay's liking that button. She, she's hitting that like button and she is clicking, I like this. Um, she is definitely someone that needs to call on the podcast. Lindsay also does a ton of speaking events and engagements. So she is definitely um, on the queue for business casual. <laughs> awesome. Teresa's also, Teresa's also, yeah, Teresa, I worked really close with this summer and she coined a term. I hope she doesn't get mad that I share this, but I don't think she will. I'm giving her credit, so it's fine. Uh, she wants me to have a segment called Drinks After Work, and she wants to be the first guest on Drinks After Work, and it'll be like more casual segment. So there's so much in the pipeline for business casual, guys. My Heineken team is providing the content for us, so there is no shortage of content. Ew, I love it. Our next partner has a product I literally use every single day. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know I am in love with AG1. I started taking AG1 because I wanted better gut health, I needed more energy, and really wanted to optimize my immune system. I've been taking it now for over four months and I've really seen a difference in all of these things. And I've also seen a huge difference in my sleep as well as my skin. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Literally all of the things. It's so easy. I take it before I go to school in the morning, so I have my Athletic Greens water bottle. I fill it up halfway with ice, add water, and one scoop of my Athletic Greens. It tastes really good. tastes very mild. There's a bit of fruity taste to it, but does not taste terrible or like there's a lot of good stuff for you in it. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. It also costs less than $3 a day. So you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and I am definitely one of them, especially now that we're entering exam season and final season and it is cold out. Cold and flu season is here. So protect yourself and you can do that very easily with Athletic Greens. 
To make it even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash business casual. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash business casual to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Also, the holidays are on the corner, so this might make a great Christmas gift or holiday gift for anyone in your life. What does a week in your life look like? So what are kind of like some tasks that you do? Because I feel like we hear these like titles and you're kind of like, okay, what does, what, what do you actually do? That's, I feel like a question that a lot of students have. So, I mean, I'd say, and Stacey, you would know this better than everyone. What we learn in marketing and school can look very different in practice in real life. There's so much more to it. But at the end of the day, my life can look like um, multiple agency meetings. So with our media agencies, our PR agencies, uh, our strategic agencies, um, really starting to work on multiple different types of campaigns. Um, those can be in different uh, like parts of their life cycle per se. Uh, it could can be comprised of meetings with our customer solution teams or with our sales teams, just getting them up to speed up. Hey, here's what's coming up. Where are we at? Um, working with them to actually bring that to light at the end of the day. A lot of times there's fires that are going on where, oh my God, we're short supply or um, this display turned out completely wrong or, you know, our our budgets are, you know, something's happening with budgets. So there's always fires throughout the day that you're tackling uh, as well. And then for sure, just making time to hang out with your team, to celebrate the wins, to reflect on learnings for that day, for that week, for that project. Um, but yeah, no, I'd say no day is the same. That is for sure. It can really vary. But we're always doing some cool stuff. Always. And so first thing I want to expand on there is the agency side, because it was something for me as a student coming in, I didn't really know the relationship that kind of brand teams had with agencies. And so I think a lot of the times when students think about marketing, they think that they have to be super, super creative or they have to have, you know, an eye for graphic design or they have to be very witty and come up with the copyright, for example, when most of the time that's not what the marketing manager does. That's what the agency does. So I want to talk about briefs because I know it's something that I worked on a lot this summer that it's not talked about in school enough. So can you explain what a marketing brief is and maybe give an example of how you brief an agency to bring a campaign to life? For sure. So the one thing I'd say is um, no one brief is done the same and that every marketing manager, director will brief a little differently than every agency, I would say, has their preferences of how they would like to be briefed. But ultimately, when we talk about a brief, it is, call it a rally cry. It is a snapshot. It, it is an ask of, you know, what is a, what is an idea that we want to be able to bring to light? Or what is a business problem that we are trying to solve and we're trying to get to the creative idea? It, a brief could be, hey, we have an existing TV asset, but you know what? doesn't really make sense to the Canadian audience. So the brief is, how do we actually make that relevant to accomplish X, Y, and Z? So really, depending on what it is that you're trying to, to fix, solve for, or inspire, that brief can take life in different ways. Um, in terms of how we like to brief, I have seen and done everything from, you know, here's a one-page, call it uh, word document, to 
here is a PowerPoint that has a lot of inspiration up front, mood boards to get people really excited that leads it to here is the ask, here is what we have to solve, here is our rally cry. Um, I've seen briefs come to light where it's an in-market experience where we're taking, you know, our agencies to the retail floor and saying, in real life, here's what we're seeing, right? Here's the context, look, feel, touch, ask. Now, here's what we need to solve for. So really, it can come to life in so many different ways. I think where a lot of times we have the biggest opportunity is to have fun with briefing. Reason can get serious very, very fast because ultimately, you know, it is it is contributing back to volume or share or tackling some sort of marketing KPI of some sort. And it can get serious so fast. But it's a lot of fun at the same time, especially when we're talking about creative brands. It can be very exciting. And the more the more fun you have with it, the more fun your agencies have and the more creative they are when they're giving you back ideas of how you can tackle something. And this is a great example of another avenue if you're interested in, let's say, working in marketing, but you prefer being on the agency side. If you're on the agency side, you get to work with big brands like Heineken, like Coors Light, but in a different, I guess, um, Oh, I'm afraid my words today. In a different capacity than you would if you're on the brand side, which is something that I didn't really understand. And I think I got a way better understanding of it now that I, I had my internship and got to work with agencies. Because again, it's just not something that's talked about in school. You just hear marketing, it's such a big umbrella and there's so many different ways to be involved in marketing. So I think the agency route is another way where if you're interested in brand management or you like working with CPG brands, you could do that from the agency side. A hundred percent. And there's so many different types of, of agencies, right? Like for people like media agencies, I had no clue that there were these massive media agencies before I, I started my career in marketing. And that's a lot of times I've had, you know, people reach out say, okay, but you know, how do you actually get on the team? Or like, I'm constantly targeting on Instagram. Like who brings that to light? Like who's doing that? And we're like, well, that's a media agency. Like it's us with a media agency, with this agency. And it, it really takes a team to do so many things that consumers are interacting with. And to your point, Stace, they always think like, oh, it's just brand, like marketing. Yeah. No, it's, it, we are a part of it for sure. And even at Molson, we have an in-house studio as well that we work with. So there are so many different moving pieces and it definitely, you look at the marketing, senior marketing manager, you're like, oh, they're the ones that came up with this like brilliant campaign. And obviously they had a huge role in it, but there are so many other ways you can be involved with it without going maybe the traditional route if, you know, working for a corporation like most, of course, isn't what you want to do. There are so many other ways that are a bit more creative uh, for you. So if you're interested in that, I definitely recommend exploring the agency side and to kind of bring this conversation to life. I know Formula One is something that was a huge project that your team undertook this past year. So let's start with how Heineken is involved with Formula One. We're going to start right at the beginning. So how is Formula One and Heineken, how are the adults? Yes. So uh, Heineken is the exclusive beer partner of Formula One. Um, So when it comes to Canada specifically, a lot of times, and for any of you who've watched Drive to Survive and you can picture a track, that means around the track, we're going to see branding on the sides with Heineken 00. You see Heineken 00 on on the top billboards. Um, A lot of the the beer, obviously, that's going to be served around the tracks is all going to be or Heineken portfolio. Um, we use Formula One as a, a huge um, 
platform to also advocate for our Enjoy Heineken responsibly campaign. That is a really big aspect of our brand. And that is why uh, where the rule, I'd say, of Heineken 00 really comes to light, right? Where you could enjoy that great taste of, of Heineken lager, but without the alcohol and always promoting never drinking and driving. So that's sort of our role with Formula One. And then again, we will we will show up across Formula One races across the world. Again, with that same don't drink and drive, Heineken 00, Heineken lager messaging. And so this past year, obviously, we all know COVID hit, pandemic hit. Uh, the Formula One Grand Prix had not come back to Montreal in three years, right? It was 2019 the last time I was in Montreal. Yeah. Yep. So this year was coming back strong. What were the key projects? I know there were so many, but what kind of were the key areas that your team was involved uh, for the Grand Prix in Montreal? And I know Sasha mentioned it earlier, but because there are Heineken is a partnership with Molson in Canada, this was mainly Molson's Heineken team and Formula One team. There wasn't Heineken. It wasn't like a, what did we call it? It was like, we weren't just plugging and playing is that what you guys call it we're just bringing what they done in other cities and bring it to montreal is what i kind of yes. want to explain correct 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 so uh yeah so absolutely so i think formula one is a an absolute beast of a platform uh and in terms of a an overall project that our teams came on it took an army to bring that to light for sure um and with formula one it really was just one massive uh, ecosystem. And when I say ecosystem, I'm saying like there were there was literally touch points across every piece of a consumer journey were needed to reinforce and wanted to reinforce Heineken or association with Formula One and ultimately really start promoting this message of more than a race. Mm-hmm. At times, what we were finding with our consumers, and again, like huge shout out to Drive to Survive because that is a huge piece of what really like escalated this, is that Younger consumers didn't necessarily care about the race per se, but they really cared about the lifestyle of Formula One, right? Like the Ricardos of the world and what were they doing and like what's the drama and like what's the, the, you know, all the luxuries around it. So our role as a brand is, yes, we absolutely want to build our association with Formula One. But we also want to reinforce this message of more than a race. It's so much more. And Heineken can deliver experiences so much more than just the race. Uh, and this came to life really across multiple, multiple areas. So whether it was our media assets, right? Really reinforcing again, Formula One, Don't Drink and Drive, um, our association, uh, bringing in consumer contesting to get tickets to the race. Um, you know, getting people excited to show us, you know, enjoying a Heineken or a Heineken 00 and, and being able to watch the race game day. So that whole media component nationally, you had more and more experiential pieces where, you know, how do we show up um, not just in Montreal where the race really comes to life, but also how do you make that accessible beyond just Montreal? So for people who can't go to the race, you still feel excited about race Sunday and about enjoying it with a Heineken zero zero with a Heineken walk, right? And that comes to life through our retail programming, through our premise programming, um, through some of our flagship activations that we can bring to life. And also within Montreal, what's happening around the city? Because again, not all locals can afford to go to a race. So how do we own, you know, the Peel streets and have branding and experiences there? How do we have sampling so that people get to try the liquid, even if they're not 
able to go to the racetrack? You know, what are these ways that we're keeping top of mind? And again, reinforcing that it's more than just the race, but all these other things. Um, and then lastly, I'd say the music component from an experiential piece. <laughs> My favorite part. <laughs> um, was a huge, I'd say, do different for us this year when we look at Formula One. And again, we're always trying to speak to younger drinkers. Uh, music plays a huge role in their lives. Heineken historically has had a lot of um, association with EDM, that high energy type of music. So to kind of tie up the board that a race from an experiential side, it's how do we bring, you know, big talent to uh, Formula One in Canada? And how do we use that as a surprise and delight to people of, yes, you're able to enjoy the race, but even if, if you did it, you now get to have an extra element of music, which everyone loves. And it's an elevated experience that Heineken to learn. So you have Amiga, you have experiential. Um, a third area I'd say is PR. So again, the role of influencers, how do you have, you know, these, these um, role models, I'd say per se, who can really resonate with those younger drinkers, help bring to light what those experiences are both on and off the track, right? How do you start a conversation with that? And how do you get people excited and grabbing a Heineken or a Heineken 00 to enjoy it in their own way, in the comforts of their home or if they're out of the bar with a friend or whatever the case may be. So I'm, again, like that's just like very high levels. There's so much more, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's a seven month project. It's like, yeah. it's a miracle. Which to me is still short for the amount of work that it was. That seven months still seems like it's a very short timeline for everything that you guys put on. It goes so, so fast. And, and there's so, really, like I said, it takes an army. It mm-hmm. takes an absolute army. I think it was like six agencies. You had an internal team of nearly 30 people. It is cross-functional in nature, um, but it is an absolutely wicked uh, campaign to be able to bring to life. And especially this year, knowing that it was the return of it, it just, there was that much more excitement. Um, and we were so excited to be able to, to yeah, to just one-up it from previous years. I think, what do you think of being in marketing and working for such a cool brand like Heineken? Doing something like F1 is probably at the pinnacle of that. It is such a cool project. I was lucky enough to come in at the tail end of the planning process, but kind of got to see it all come together and was in Montreal for the Grand Prix. So got to see a lot of the activations um, come to life. I Just another kind of tie-in for students here. Again, if you're interested in sports and if you're interested in Formula One, this is another way that you can be involved in that and bring your passion to life while not directly being employed by Formula One. So there are agencies that work with this. There are obviously working for a brand like Heineken. That goes for any sport, anything that you're interested in. There are other ways to be involved without maybe being employed directly by the organization, which, again, I think goes back to like a theme that we're trying to promote on the business casual or like if you have a passion there is probably a way you can make money from it and find a career in it so don't be shy to find those unique avenues to be involved in that sport so that was one thing I just wanted to bring in from that the other thing I wanted to talk about was so and this is a question that I know I asked you a lot this summer and we had a lot of conversations about was you have this big event there's so many different avenues at play you're working with all these agencies as a senior marketing manager how do you measure the return on investment and what's kind of in the back of your mind obviously this was also a lot of money was put to work this was a huge investment for the team and for heineken so as a marketing manager what's in the back of your mind the whole time of are we selling more beer 
Is this going to get more people to buy Heineken? Is this going to increase our brand loyalty? Kind of what's the main driver for all these decisions when it comes back to the end goal of selling more beer and increasing your revenue? Yeah, I think honestly, it, I would break down into sort of two, into two streams. So one, ultimately as part of the brief, we need to define what is success. What does success look like to us? And that can absolutely take the form of, you know, health penetration or like, we just want more people buy our beer, right? It could come in the sense of loyalty. It could come, like there's so many different, it could be a specific volume number that we are going towards. To your point, like that can change. So there is one element of what the brief needs to deliver. And for us, like it was more than a race and how does everything we do ladder up to this concept of more than a race? And then what are those specific KPIs that were tying to that statement? Second part is with each agency, you need to define success. So for media, as we're building out a plan across Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and TV, every channel will have, call it its KPI. We need to talk to this many people. We need to talk to them this many number of times. We want to see engagement of X, Y, and Z. Like it can, we need to define success with media this way. We hold ourselves to that same standard where we look at PR and our influencers. What is success with that, right? Our retail and on-premise programming. What is success there? And that is what we build plans against is hitting those KPIs and how we want to define success into those streams. At the end of the day, this is where the role of post-avow, post-reflection is so important because it allows us to take that all away and say, how did we actually do across our more than a race? Did we accomplish what we needed to? And then across each of those streams, we said we wanted to do this, this, and this. Did we do it? What worked? What didn't work? And that's ultimately holding ourselves accountable and taking those learnings to build in the KPIs and the plans for the following. I think that was the most interesting part for me as an intern, kind of watching all of this happen and being in Montreal and then coming at the end of Montreal and then coming back and saying, okay, everything was great. People had so much fun. People were drinking Heineken. And then seeing the team really be analytical and say, okay, was this necessary? What do we do it again? What did we actually gain from it? And watching that process for me, I think was the most, one of the most valuable things I learned this summer as I look back on all the projects I worked on, the postmortem and the reflection was so important and so interesting because it's not exactly what I'd expected coming into it. A hundred percent. And honestly, like it's a key part of the process that a lot of people want to just push aside, but you can never expect yourself to do better, to make it better unless put in that work and really hold your agencies accountable too. of like, okay, like, like, did we do what we wanted to do and what could we do better and what caused us to not deliver on what we wanted to deliver, right? Like that reflection, that like continuous improvement is so important. And so building off of this, obviously you want to celebrate the wins and that's a very important part of being a manager. And for you, as you kind of reflected on your F1 experience, and as you go into the next year of planning F1, what was the hardest part about being a manager in such a high pressure situation where you were dealing with a lot of different parties that might not have been communicating together? What was the most difficult part for you navigating and organizing that whole ecosystem? Um, I think <clears throat> constantly reminding, like, reminding all the agencies that we are one team, 
we are all working towards the same thing. We all have our areas of expertise, but we need to keep the lines of communication open frequently so that we're constantly able to get ahead of things, deal with things as they come up, be proactive. That's for sure. So just reinforcing the importance of communication and that, that right team mentality, for sure. Um, I'd say the second thing in terms of managing something this big, um, there's ebbs and flows. It's a long project. Like I said, it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. You're going to have a lot of peaks and you're going to have a lot of moments where you're like, oh my gosh, everything's hitting the fan. And like your agencies will feel that. Your internal teams will feel that because there's just always so much going on. I think um, this mentality of pace yourself, this mentality of prioritization, and also just keeping that morale and that motivation up is so important. So taking the time to celebrate the wins, no matter how big or small they are, it's a win. It's a step in the direction. It's one step closer to like game time. And like, that's what we're all in it for. And also when we hit those low points, it's making them as constructive as possible and saying, okay, yep, we've had a roadblock, but you know, we've got some really smart people in the room. Again, we're one team. Let's tackle it. Let's learn from it. Let's keep moving forward. Because again, we're, it's like big picture. Keep moving forward. But again, like I said, it's, it's a marathon and, and keeping that morale high can be really hard. Because you start to feel it too. You're like, oh my God, like there's just so much. But people thrive off your energy. Your agents thrive off of your energy. So you need to do those gut checks with yourself as well. So that everyone else is like feeling that and is motivated through the good and through the bad. It's such good advice. I think you can relate it to any project you're working on, whether you're a student in a group project and you have a group project that's not going so well, or it's a long group project. I know some students have capstone projects, so they're working on one project throughout the entire semester. Or if you're just starting your job and you've been given a task, it's kind of your first project you're working on. I think it's really good advice that you can apply to everything. My last question here is, what is one piece of advice you want to leave listeners with that you wish you knew when you started your career or that you've been given that's really stuck with you? I would say it's sort of two-pronged. I think there's a lot of pressure when you're in university, when you're going into your final two years to like know what you want to do. You got to get it right. You have to land the perfect first job because it's going to make or break your career. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I think use your first step as exactly it. It is a first step. It's a stepping stone. And go into it with an open mind of what are all the skills that I can learn? How am I building a foundation for myself that I can continue to lean on and to flex as I keep moving forward? That's part one. And two, be open to all these new opportunities because that's the only way that you're going to really start understanding what you like, what you don't like, and what you ultimately want to start building your career around. Just be open to saying yes, open mind. Constant learning. Sasha, you already know this, but I think you're one of the smartest people in my network. And I am so grateful to have uh, been under your leadership this past summer. I thank you so much for all your advice. I think it's so applicable. And I really do think Sasha gives the best advice. So I really hope you guys were taking notes this episode and take everything she said and are able to apply it to your career or your studies. And I hope that you all, if you're of legal drinking age, decide to enjoy a We'll say Molson Coors Beverage. We won't be biased towards Heineken, but a Molson Coors Beverage. 
this this week or while you're listening to this episode. So Sasha, thank you so much for coming on Business Casual. We will definitely hopefully hear from you again or definitely someone from the Molson team soon. But thank you so much. Thanks, Stacey. This was an absolute blast. You're a rock star. I'm so excited that you're going to be joining us both for next year. Can't wait to see what team that you land on. Um, and yeah, I would just say like if, if any of the listeners have any questions or they want to talk more about certain things or we didn't talk through something that they just, you know, always wanted to, to know about, um, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to set up chats. Um, so grateful for people who always made the time for me. So uh, yeah, love to give back. And thank you again so much for having me. This was super fun. Thanks, Ash. Perfect.